we have a very uh, distinguished panel here uh, today. Uh, as we're behind time, I won't go into uh, all of their details. Um, first up will be uh, Jocelyn Letono, uh, over there on the right. Not often one finds him on the right, but uh, today we do. Central. Uh, <laughs> Central, yeah. Uh, who is Professor of uh, Contemporary Politics uh, at Laval University. A uh, very distinguished uh, researcher, uh, written many books, edited many books and articles and so on and so forth, visiting fellow uh, on, on, on many occasions at different places. So he will lead off uh, with um, uh, the first talk for about 20, 25 minutes. And then second up will be uh, Chris Kirkie, Professor Chris Kirkie, who's uh, director of the Canadian Studies uh, program at uh, SUNY Plattsburgh, um, and also head of the Quebec Institute there. He will follow uh, Jocelyn, make any comments on whatever Jocelyn has said, and obviously give his own uh, views uh, on the uh, election and the significance of the election result, um, perhaps broadening out to Canada uh, as a whole. Uh, and then last but certainly not least, um, Dr. James Kennedy, uh, Jimmy Kennedy, um, whose uh, field is more uh, nationalism. So obviously uh, Quebec comes very much into that. Uh, he will give his thoughts on the election campaign and the significance uh, of the election result, not only for Quebec and Canada, but perhaps for Scotland more broadly still. Uh, Jimmy, for his pains, is also the present president <laughs> of BACS, the British Association for Canadian uh, Studies as well, but uh, we won't hold that against you. In fact, it's, uh, it's uh, obviously a very important post. Okay, well, without further ado, uh, let's start off with Jocelyn. Good. I try to speak as loud as possible for people in the back to uh, hear me. So let me first thank Tony for having this panel organized on Quebec last general election. I'm very pleased that Chris and Jimmy have accepted to be part of it along with me. There is an audience, many people I know, including uh, Monsieur le Délégué Général du Québec Allant, John Coleman, whom I salute, and I hope you all enjoy the discussion. You probably know that uh, Coalition Avenir Québec, or CAC, won by a large margin last general election in Quebec. Numbers are in circulated handout, table one. By the way, data include PQ gain in gas fee riding after vote recounting. The CAC won the election was not really a surprise. Pollsters had predicted that outcome, although, although it wasn't sure if the party would form a majority or a minority government. That said, pollsters were quite wrong in predicting the distribution of votes cast for each party, especially with respect to CAC and PLQ. Last Ipsos poll, published three days before election took place and based on a survey effectuated from September 26 to September 28, shown, as far as decided voters were concerned, and you have numbers in table two, a gap of only one point of percentage between CACist and liberals 32% versus 21, 31% in favor of CACIS, well within margin of error, while PQ and QS, Quebec Solidaire, 
were separated in favor of PQ by two points of percentage, 18% versus 16%, also within margin of error. In the context of elections results, some questions come to the fore. <clears throat> why CAC and QS did so well, and why PLQ and PQ did so bad? Before going into sophisticated explanations, which sometimes are nice but too refined for emotion or impulse and not reason often determinates people's vote, let's consider basic numbers. Rate of participation in last general election was 66.4%, five points less than in 2014 general election, which was 71.4%. Over a little, overall, a little over 4 million people casted their vote in. Distribution of votes by party, both in 2018 and in 2014, is shown in handout table three. Now, out of these data are some observations possible. It seems that many people who voted for the Liberal Party in 2014 either supported an other party in 2018 or did not vote at all. By the way, in terms of vote percentage, PLQ got in 2018 its worst score since 1867. The second hypothesis which states that a lot of liberal supporters did not actually go to vote has been suggested by many analysts. Now the question is, why liberal supporters did not go to vote? There are many explanations, but we have to make a distinction, a distinction between francophone and non-francophone voters. It appears that non-francophone voters mostly concentrated on the island of Montreal, didn't cast their vote in because, principally, sovereignty was not, this time, an issue in the election. Let's be aware that if such behavior affected the number of individuals voting for Liberal Party, it did not impact the historical association between that political formation <coughs> and non-Francophone people. In fact, a very large proportion of constituencies on the island of Montreal and on the territory of Laval, l'île Jésus, where most non-francophone people are concentrated, are red as usual. More significant, perhaps, 27 ridings out of 28 where one finds largest number of non-francophone voters went to Liberal Party. What is true for non-francophone people does not apply straight to usual francophone liberal voters. Why many of those apparently did not vote for their party this time? Again, many explanations can be put forward. One hypothesis suggested is that PLQ government, under the leadership of Mr. Couillard, did not connect well with members of the party sort of split between political branch and electoral branch of the political formation. 
Some observers added that Philippe Couillard himself, a man governing as a technocrat first, with apparently little emotion, was not unanimous, appreciated by party members, many of them suffering directly or being annoyed with government's decision from 2014 to 2017 to manage the province with austerity or rigor while giving a lot to doctors. I'm not saying that Mr. Couillard was right or wrong doing what he did. I'm just saying that many Quebecers, including liberal voters for that matter, perceived his attitude as politically, even economically, inopportune or inaccurate. To put it bluntly, the republic of doctors remained in the throats of a lot. And it brought consequences. For example, it is highly possible that the defeat of Minister Pierre Moreau in Châteauguay, southwest of Montreal, a traditional liberal fief, very middle class indeed, is due to francophone voters' deception over PLQ management. Another possible explanation of francophone usual liberal voters not supporting their partner their party, is that many of them thought the time had come for PLQ to revive itself in terms of its programs, its team, its contenders, its staff, and so on, in going into a position for a while at a time when no more than 20 former liberal deputies were stepping out, including high-profile people like Martin Coiteux, Jean-Marc Fournier, Jacques Chagnon, and others. Since the question of independence was not at stake, the present election was timely to have a salutary retreat. We may even think that for many usual or previous liberal francophone voters, especially those who belong to middle class, to support CAC at least for one election was not considered a capital sin, for it is expected that CAC, no matter the differences in its program with PLQ, will govern in a way quite similar to liberals with that little touch of nationalism and inclination towards francophone majority that Mr. Couillard was apparently short of, whose desire to collaborate with Ottawa was seen by many as going too far in the direction of subordination, while the best bet for any party to win a general election in Quebec is to find that optimal position between the will to cooperate and the will for autonomy, a response to francophone historical insecurity and wish to be masters in their own house as much as possible. It appears that this time, with respect to optimal tuning with expectations of francophone population in its majority, who want to change, but not any change, neither radical change, in fact, something like <coughs> continuity in change, CAC did better than PLQ, let alone the fact that many voters were simply looking for novelty after 15 years of liberal domination. Les Québécois sont tannés 
Quebecers are fed up with PLQ kept repeating François Legault when campaigning. It seems that his message was well received, in particular by Francophone people who, according to Ipsos survey, wanted a government change at the age of 70%. Now, we will see if infidelity of liberal voters becomes customary and CAC replaces PLQ in the mind and heart of Francophone Quebecers, as PLQ is now almost entirely rooted in non-Francophone population and in Montreal. My feeling is that PLQ will rebound, for its branding is strong in collective imagination, but the party will have to make adjustment to regain and enlarge his francophone base. A lot would also depend on CAC performance. And we still, of course, we still have to measure the impact of a possible implementation of proportional representation in National Assembly, a project three parties out of four agreed on, including CAC, who is now in power. As data show, PLQ was not the only party that did poorly in last election. Parti Québécois is another player that slipped sharply, its worst reverse in 40 years. The defeat of Jean-François Lisée, chief of the party, as well as of Jean-Martin Haussan and Paul Saint-Pierre Plamondon, two stars associated with party's future, are indicative of the catastrophic drop this political formation endured. Now, we have to wonder why PQ did so bad, especially since the, party, the party's program was very attractive and Jean-François Lidé campaigned well, to me at least, an opinion not shared by most, to be sure. In Ipsos' survey, only 9% of respondents considered Lise having done a good job during campaign. In fact, as far as PQ is concerned, last election, last election I would say, validated a decline of the party that is, that is underway for almost 20 years. Have a look on table four. It seems that Vincent, Vincent Lemieux's statement that PQ was a generational party is confirmed 50 years after it was created in 1968. Why PQ is on decline? We may say that this is primarily because its main cause, independence, is not anymore at the top of Quebecois' priority. That makes sense, but we must not forget that about a third of Quebecers remain supporters of independence, at least supporters of sovereignty partnership, which means two things. Either sovereignists didn't go to vote because in this election, PQ was not promoting independence, or they got to vote for another party. Either it is CAC, which is a party based on a coalition of interests that include many middle-class soft nationalists, or QS, which some P 
BQ people are in line with, at least with respect to, key, to QS clear call, that if it got elected, it goes straight and immediately for the independence of Quebec. Another reason explaining the decline of PQ is that it is a party that having difficulty, it is a, it, 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 uh, um, another reason explaining the decline of PQ is that it is a party that having difficulty to regroup around a sole chief idea or démarche is not able to fill up among nationalists, progressives, youth, or among any other group or category but perhaps the underclass. In this respect, one analyst has observed that most writings won by a PQ candidate as a concentration of people largely, largely dependent on public transfer or a concentration of unemployed men. I have no idea if the association of PQ with vulnerable people is to be punctual or structural. If it is not punctual, it may mean a difficult situation for PQ in the future, since the party doesn't seem to be able to find its place in a political landscape frankly dominated by more or less mild conservative groups on the one side, let's call them the Lucids, the Lucid, facing a coalition of leftists, idealists, unhappy or fed up people on the other side, let's call them the Solidaire, who also include a lot of folks who are not dreamers or romantics, but actors eager to act now on the front of environment. In playing back the card of sovereignty partnership and finding at last a consensual and uncontested leader, would PQ regain its position in Quebec's political landscape? I cannot say. Quebec Solidaire, who according to Lisée was given a free ride by journalists in last campaign, is there to stay, at least for a while, and its members will not accept to be subjugated to Parti Québécois in any way. Quebec Solidaire is so drastic in its program and so excessive in its discourse that it cannot expect to be largely backed by population unless it plays the game of reality and get closer to Quebecers' political culture, which is all about progressive conservatism, pragmatic liberalism, and quiet reformism, all behaviors not evidently compatible with QS orientations. A possible outcome would be that Quebec Solidaire is contaminated with PQ ideas and invested by PQ people, or at least by people grounded in reality, so its program is softened and its candidates are trustable as rulers and managers, which is absolutely not the case at the moment. Illustrative of that is the fact that Manon Massé was ranked by the electorate far behind François Legault and Philippe Couillard as best possible Quebec's premier. True to say, though, that Jean-François Lisée was also a long stretch behind Legault and Couillard in terms of holding the seat of premier. We might guess that the advent in political arena of a party or Union Solidaire 
amalgamation of Parti Québécois and Quebec Solidaire that would regroup people in the left with a characteristic, a charismatic chief and whose agenda is structured in a more pragmatic way around themes like environment, social, social equality, and sovereignty would possibly be a serious contender to Coalition Avenir Québec or to the Liberal Party. But would it be, really? For that to happen, Quebecers' spirit, mood, and behavior would have to move clearly left and be steered again by the idea of sovereignty. At this time, there is no indication whatsoever that such a trend is underway. We have to be careful in analyzing last election results, in particular when we consider Quebec Solidaire. With respect to QS, a question about his electoral basis is indeed relevant. Who voted for this party practicing left populism and rejecting unceremoniously capitalism, globalization, and establishments of all sorts, which led Louis Baudouin, a former deputy and minister in different PQ governments, now a columnist in Le Devoir newspaper, to qualify Quebec Solidaire people as gauchos, sovereignists, exact opposite to cowboy capitalists they conflict with. According to analysts, a lot of people aged 18 to 34, possibly more women than men, voted for Quebec Solidaire. This is certainly consistent with survey results shown on Table 2. Note that in this particular election, the 18 to 34 represented a third of electorate, which is quite significant. And for once, it seems that young people, most of them politicized perhaps during the famous Maple Spring of 2012, went to vote, particularly, particularly in university towns or districts. Need to be convinced? Winds of Quebec Solidaire in Tachereau, my riding, Sherbrooke and Rouen-Oranda are clearly related to the fact that a lot of university students live in these ridings. According to Yuri Rivet, a renowned pollster, it might be the case in other constituencies as well, for he discovered that a concentration of renters, often students, are to be found in nine ridings <coughs> out of ten where Quebec Solidaire was victorious. Now, the key word that mobilized young people to vote for Quebec Solidaire was by far environment now, and possibly the idea of doing politics a different way with courage, fortitude, and imagination beyond the limits of existing system, whatever vague or even confusing that plea may be. Independence is not independence. Independence is not really on most young people's radar. No more that the identity question is, by the way. The idea of interdependence is what you largely believe in. Now, 
It is not only young people that supported Quebec Solidaire. To vote for that party, no matter they endorse its program, was also a way for many people to give themselves a good conscience as progressive people, so much no, so much so that they, that they knew Quebec Solidaire had no chance to form the government. I suspect that a significant proportion of no-sayers to Ipsos survey ended up voting QS as a protest vote. Quebecers, in particular Francophone Quebecers, like to rebel when there is no real consequence or issue or when it's possible to catch up later. Now the question is, can Quebec Solidaire consolidate, even enlarge its pool of supporters, or is QS performance in last Quebec election similar to that of Jack Layton's NDP in Quebec in 2011, who got 43% of vote casted in and elected no less than 52 deputies, but which proved to be an artificial rally, <coughs> an artificial rally of people over a nice party and a nice guy with no lasting consequence, something like a summer law. As I said, if QS wants to improve its position and rate larger than in youth or beyond writings they actually won, the party will have to become much more pragmatic. But I said something like this in 2014 and see the result of my prognostic now. Anyway, to prove or shall I say to back or to argue my point, let's consider certain numbers. Overall, as data show in Table 5, Quebec Solidaire finished first or second 24 times compared to 107 times for CAC, 76 times for Liberals, and 43 times for PQ. No doubt Quebec Solidaire was very strong in 8 of 10 constituencies they took. However, score of the party was less impressive in two ridings, namely Jean de Sage in Quebec City area, where they won with a margin, margin of 700 votes, and in Rouen-Noranda, a riding they gained with a majority of 500 votes only. Now, Quebec Solidaire finished second in 40, 14 ridings only. With the exception of Maurice Richard, a constituency next to Laurier d'Orion on the island of Montreal, candidates of Quebec Solidaire were behind their contender by margins going from 3,400 votes in Verdun to over 20,000 votes in Arthabasca, won by CAC. Although, and you know that much than me, probably miracles are not impossible in politics, it would be surprising that in next election, Quebec Solidaire takes over many new constituencies, unless, as I said, they reform their program and rhetoric to match expectations of a large proportion of those who belong to le Québec moyen, middle Quebec, a broad category of people mostly composed of young or older families or households, neither rich or poor, and mostly living in regions and suburbs. It is that very large category of voters to which François Legault has promised more money in their pocket as taxpayers that this time backed the CAC and made the party to win. Pollster 
Yuri Rive summarizes the old pictures of Quebec's new political landscape in a very spectacular manner, saying that after last election, liberals are mostly rooted in West Island, in non-francophone neighborhoods, and in affluent francophone districts like Jean Talon in the Quebec City area, where local candidate Sébastien Prou, former Minister of Education, is a possible contender to PLQ leadership. By the way, by the way, Mr. Prou has just been named by his colleague parliamentary leader of opposition in National Assembly, an appointment that will give him a lot of media exposure. And look at him. He's brilliant, efficient, and pragmatic. Moreover, he speaks well and with charisma, and is only 43. Shall we see him next leader of PLQ? The question remains open. For his part, Quebec Solidaire is largely associated with young people, with university towns where students are concentrated, and with, and with hipsterized or hippie-chic neighborhoods where to be lefty is a trademark of distinction. As for CAC, it finds its supporters mostly in regions and suburbs, which, by the way, should not be associated with Le Québec Profond or remote Quebec, but with Le Québec Moyen, as I said, or middle class people. What about PQ? Well, the party has been almost wiped out, but in the Gaspé Peninsula, taking over all seats in that region. In Joliette and Jean Pierre, where Véronique Yvon and Sylvain Gaudreau are very popular local figures, and in Marie-Victorin, where Catherine Morin won, but with a margin of only 700 votes ahead of CAC candidate. I would like to conclude in addressing a question that seems reasonable to ask in the circumstances. Is last election the first of a new political cycle in Quebec where supposedly old parties are fraying out while new parties are taking <coughs> off? Of course, I have no crystal ball and cannot predict what's going to happen. What I can say is that while former split was between sovereignists and federalists, to which both PLQ and PQ were giving resonance in the public sphere, it seems now that political fractures, if I may use that word that is probably too strong to depict Quebec's political landscape, are between francophone and non-francophone people, between regions and cities, between suburbs and downtowns, between partly baby boomers and baby busters, and between also partly Montreal and The Rock, rest of Quebec. <laughs> of course, generalizations have always to be taken with precaution. They never fit exactly the real situation, and neither is everybody matching completely their pattern. Moreover, we have to be careful in insisting on splits or divisions when talking about Quebec political landscape. Over matters of public interest and priorities rulers shall deal with, Quebecers, I believe, have more in common than they differ. For instance, I'm pretty sure very few Quebecers do not consider environment an important question. Now it seems that young people are massively supportive of immediate, drastic, and colossal actions 
to stop anything that could lead to climate change. This is understandable since future is their home. Now, other parties are also advocating similar action, booze against virtue, but they are keen for gradual and reasonable initiatives in balance with other variables that, have, that are crucial in the regulation of society, economic development, for instance, or, or employment. While all decision makers but Donald Trump agrees over the necessity to deal urgently with the challenge of environment, most rulers, at least in Quebec, but also in Canada, face difficulty in finding a good trade-off between environmental, environmental matters and immediate prosperity. <coughs> Similarly, there are Quebecers who are uncomfortable with large bulk of immigrants coming into the province. At the moment, between 45 and 55,000 people a year. They are also uncomfortable with ostensible manifestation of religious beliefs or customs and with signs that may be indicative of what they consider to be forms of submission, especially when women are, are concerned and divide is what usually discouraged. By the way, what we hear or see in Quebec is in the same vein as to what is seen or heard in most hyper-modern society. Transnational immigration at high level brings challenge of adjustment all over the planet. Now, in practice, the vast majority of Quebecers, no matter they are francophone people or not, do live in region or in cities, or reside in suburbs or in downtowns, are, when sensible situation happens, more than anything else, open to reasonable accommodation between existing norms and values which are protected by laws and charters and different norms and values which bearers have any way to adapt to Canadian or Quebecois laws and charters. I'm not saying that finding reasonable accommodation is easy, for it is not, but it is that principle and not the rejection of difference or intolerance that is central to today's Quebec political culture, especially in youth. It appears that when he will have to rule over matters of immigration, Premier Legault will be inspired by pragmatism rather than by any sectarian doctrine. Already, he's backing off using the notion of acquired rights on the question of regulating people in position of authority wearing distinctive religious ornaments, including teachers for that matter. I could multiply examples showing that Quebecers are not, barely have been indeed, in political extremes, and that they rather lodge in kind of quiet and comfortable, comfortable center for where they don't like to be removed. This is why many observers, after seeing the replacement of liberals by with, with the Kekist, have concluded that when rhetorical noise is over and talkers settle down, it's going to be Twiddledy after Twiddledom. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jocelyn. Much to think about there. So uh, we'll let uh, Chris pick up the baton. Thank you, Tony. Um, good evening, everyone, and thank you for coming this night. Um, uh, thank you, of course, to Tony for his kind invitation to be here at UCL this evening and to join Jimmy and Jocelyn on this panel. I have a personal confession to make when I found out that my 
friend and colleague, Michel Letourneau, was going to be here tonight, I, I hesitated for a moment to come because about three weeks ago we were in Ottawa together at a conference and he wasn't feeling well. And I went home and for two and a half weeks I was literally on my deathbed. And I went to the physician three times, a bad cold, a bad virus, but a virus like I have never experienced in my life. So I'm... He kept asking for cocktails and I kept making them and stuff. So anyhow, uh, but Jocelyn, thank you for those wonderful comments. It was a really uh, wonderful overview. Um, I think for most folks in the room, to the extent that you do follow Quebec politics, you know on the October 1st election, um, and Jocelyn provided a nice detailed profile of each party, their outcomes, their one, wins and losses. We have four parties, and in simplistic terms, we have a relatively recent party of, of the progressive left, the Quebec Solidaire, which, as Jocelyn correctly points out, is largely anchored to 18 to 34-year-old, uh, particularly university students, progressives, if you will. And then you have, to, uh, also to the left of centre, you have the Parti Québécois, the PQ, uh, the party that twice um, put before voters in Quebec a referendum on the future of Quebec's political association with Canada, um, and is committed, although Jean-Francois Lisey had mentioned that the first, should the PQ be elected, it wouldn't be at least till 2022, I don't think he needs to worry about that today, um, before a third referendum might be considered. Um, sort of a center, the centrist party most directly these days would be the Liberal Party. Um, Soon, as Jocelyn points out, to be under a new leader, who that will be, uh, we don't know. Monsieur Couillard has uh, uh, announced and stepped down. Um, and then, of course, um, the party, more, dare I say, I don't know if populist is the right term, but certainly, certainly most nationalist party of the lot, and certainly most right-of-center party of the lot, is the party that won. Um, which seems to be an interesting comparative conversation. Um, not simply in other parts of Canada, but around the world. Um, the CAC, the Coalition Avenue Quebec. Um, so, with that in mind, the one thing I found that was, this was an extremely boring election. As provincial elections go, this was perhaps because the binary issue and the, that has so dominated Quebec politics for so long, question and possibility of Quebec's place within the larger Canadian Federation was not an issue. And as a result, uh, it was really a sleeper of an election. Uh, I think anybody who is a political scientist or historian or sociologist will go back and sort of, now, uh, at least for today, um, say it wasn't, you know, the, the campaign itself and, um, well, it wasn't exactly uh, a supremely engaging one for the average voter. Um, and I think about this in the context of four years ago, in April of 2014, when Quebec did its most previous uh, recent uh, provincial-wide election, had a wonderfully exciting election um, in which, uh, I think you know, the, the, the election was different, the campaign was different, uh, um, the results were different. Um, we had a, a, a minority government at the time under the Parti Québécois and Pauli Merois who went in fairly confident in their ability to, in fact, come out with a majority. That didn't happen. Uh, Philippe Couillard and the Liberal Party uh, emerged. Um, it was a hotly contested campaign in large measure because of the fact that the issue that um, the 
Patsy Quebecois did not want to campaign on became front and center this binary issue again of Quebec's <coughs> place in the larger Canadian Federation, largely as a result of this recruitment um, of a star candidate, Pierre Carpellido, um, with his wonderful fist pump in the air, um, suggesting um, and scaring most, um, I think, Anglophones, and particularly also importantly, uh, Francophone voters who were satisfied with the way Quebec was uh, uh, within the larger context of the Federation and, and, had, and Quebec had been, Quebec for them had become more and more defined in terms of a measure of success as a measure of economic success. Um, so it was a, I always think about how that went and um, what a different election this one was to say the least. Um, to borrow on Shostland's comments a moment ago, it's often said that elections uh, are won or lost. Um, and well, in this case, that's certainly the case. And to, to parallel Jocelyn's uh, comments a moment ago, who did win and who did lose in this election? Well, clearly, who won um, was the uh, CAC under Francois Legault. Um, uh, Francois Legault was a former airline executive, former member of the Parti Québécois, former, former uh, advocate of sovereignty for Quebec. Um, and um, he... The, they, you wouldn't say that he's a magnetic personality. You wouldn't say that the CAC ran a spectacular campaign. When your campaign theme is maintenant, now, you know, the notion of change. And that was the overriding singular point, poll after poll after poll in Quebec showed that Quebecers were interested in change. The Liberals have been in power 13 of the past 15 years, and that might have had something to do with it, but I'll get back to that in a second if I could. Um, the CAC did a particular, you know, very strategic voting. You look at the map of Montreal, or you look at the map of Quebec for the 125 ridings in the National yeah. Assembly, it's not complicated. Um, you know, particularly if you're doing what the CAC was really committed to doing, which was cultivating Francophone nationalist voters, you don't spend a lot of time in Montreal because your chances of winning in Montreal are really slight. It, towards the very last nine days of the campaign, they started to move in that direction because they felt there was a wave the CAC did. Um, but this CAC is also part of this, uh, as I'd like to suggest, um, uh, part of, a, a, I think, a broader trend that's going on in, in, in provincial, state, and, and national politics uh, around the world. Um, the CAC is um, a government that wants to, um, you know, try and provide, and I'll come back to this when I talk about the Liberals, try and provide a better um, sense of social services or, uh, than the Liberals have recently, <coughs> try to provide public services in a way that, that uh, um, would be better than perhaps the Cuillard government has. Um, it's also, as Jocelyn points out, um, right of center on questions of immigration, <coughs> values, um, things of that nature. I'm trying to get me sick again, I see that. <laughs> That's okay, I'll hold you to it. Um, you know, the notion that you know, there should be a cap, a harder cap, you know, maybe 40,000 immigrants to Quebec and after three years you should be forced to take a language test or a values test. If you don't pass that, you should be expelled from Canada. Um, things like that. Now, he's backtracked on that somewhat. Um, but we've heard these voices before, have we not? We've heard them in France, we've heard them here in England, we've heard them in other parts of the United States, we've heard them in other parts of Ontario. Most recently, 
Um, we've heard some of this from uh, the new premier of the province of Ontario, um, Doug Ford. Um, it's fascinating to see how this all plays out. Um, having said that, the, the other winners of this election were, as Jocelyn points out, the Quebec Solidaire. This is a progressive, um, left-of-center group, uh, what you'd still call a fringe party because they don't have official party status. Am I right or do they? Yeah, they're probably they probably do, okay, based on the percentage of vote. But the, the truth is they're, 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 they're a party committed to social justice, right? And um, they're, not a, they're not what we would typically identify as a mainstream catch-all party, so their fate remains to be seen. Um, for the Liberals, it was clearly a case of their time was up. Um, they've been in power, perceived to be in power too long. Um, but even more so, when... Cuillard came into power in 2014. The Quebec, the Quebec government, uh, which more than any other province in Canada, is a fascinating society because the relationship between state and society in Quebec is and has been fundamentally different than in any other province in Canada. And what do I mean by that? There's a, there has been traditionally, historically, politically, sociologically, um, an expectation on the part of Quebec society that the Quebec state is there to serve Quebec citizens in a more fundamental, in a more largesse way, in a more cradle-to-grave way than there are in other provinces. Um, and this has been the case. So when Cuillard came in, there was a dramatic cut in social services, a period of austerity for two years. Now, it goes without saying that Quebec right now, some would say Mr. Cuillard tried to make the case during the election that that austerity has now led to a wonderful period of economic renewal and performance in the province. Whether you measure that by just growth, whether you measure it by unemployment rates. Um, in Montreal, if, you haven't been, if you've been to Montreal over the years, if you go to Montreal today, it's, it's booming. It's, it's the number of construction cranes uh, in the city is, is fascinating to see. Um, so uh, that's, uh, I think, uh, a reality. In fact, one of the issues, and I'm going to read very briefly to you this description because I think it really captures it well. This is written by a journalist in Canada for the Global Mail a little while back, talking about the approach and how voters looked at this situation. It said, um, Why are the Liberals in trouble? Um, it's because there's a deeper sense in Quebec that the province has fallen behind the rest of the continent in recent decades and it'll take far more than a couple of good years for it to catch up. The province's health care system is bursting at the seams. Burnout among nurses is rampant. The abhorrent, living the, the abhorrent living conditions of seniors in long-term care facilities has become a source of collective shame. Parents decry the decrepit state of their kids' schools, and I love this, some of the province's major thoroughfares look like a scene from Blade Runner. <laughs> and, and they frankly do, and that's being polite. Um, the question is, this government has not and did not deliver on... Uh, it, it violated the social contract for most Quebecers. It violated the social contract in not delivering, as Quebec governments have, on behalf of the Quebec state for its citizens. And I think that was the bigger issue. Yes, there was a sense of tiredness, but there was a sense of indifference. There was a sense of callousness. There was a sense of, yes, the economy's going well, but gee whiz, look at our schools and look at our education system and look at our infrastructure. And that was problematic for a lot of people. Um, the Parti Québécois. We've talked about... Uh, um, oh, I should 
one last notion about the, the Parti uh, Liberal de Quebec, which is the, the Liberal Party is not going anywhere, as Jocelyn correctly observed. Um, they have to move off of Montreal. They have to be able to appear and appeal to Francophone voters. But one, one little historical anecdote is that if you think of Canadian politics, in 1993, the Federal Conservative Party went into an election with 153 members in Parliament, out of a Parliament that was, I think, 295 at the time. They elected two members that day uh, when Jean Chrétien's government came in. Well, they came back under Stephen Harper and were in power for 10 years, and they're not going anywhere soon. And the way Mr. Trudeau is going and governing these days, it's going to be a very competitive election. Because um, Canadians aren't seeing, and I say that as an aside, there's plenty of public opinion polls that demonstrate effectively that Canadians, for all the progressive focus of the current administration in Ottawa, there's a sense that it's all talk and no substance. Um, so there's a sense they need to deliver there. Um, having said that, I will say that um, when you think of the election itself and you look at the course of the election campaign, it's clear that during the campaign, the Liberal Party lost traction over time. They never were able to. They had a few up periods when Monsieur Legault said a controversial note or two, but they really... Um, um, didn't come over that. Voters were really not interested in voting on the economic record of the Liberal Party. Um, polling data was quite accurate. Um, as Jocelyn points out, the only major trend it didn't capture was um, at, towards the last 10 days of the campaign, how much of the vote broke for both Quebec Solidaire and for the CAC. Um, and ultimately <coughs> the fact that the CAC would emerge with a majority government. What does this all mean for Canada? I'm going to turn it over to Jimmy. Um, is there any kind of significance for this election as a whole? Well, yes and no. I think uh, we don't want to overblow, the, we don't want to overstate the case, rather. In, I, I, on the no side, um, you know, the CAC is not permitted to con, uh, pursuing uh, sovereignty. So I think that's a, a, a positive step forward. Um, and on the yes side, um, I think we should expect, I think it would be naive not to expect that the Quebec City-Ottawa relationship is going to be potentially less fluid on a variety of issues. We've seen it most recently on the question of immigration and values. Um, uh, you know, it, but I, I, I would suspect that we have a premier now, uh, Francois Legault, who's decidedly more uh, nationalist um, and to that extent, um, on issues of con central concern to Quebec, um, he'll be pushing with Justin Trudeau on the Ottawa Cup. So, thank you. Okay, great. Thanks very much, Chris. Uh, Jimmy, if there's anything left to say. <laughs> <laughs> Not really, but uh, I'll give it a go. Uh, so thanks to Tony, thanks for the invitation. Thanks to Jocelyn for a uh, terrific paper and for, to Chris for his, his thoughts vis-a-vis uh, Jocelyn's -vis paper. Um, this, these are comments really from something of an outside observer. It's been many years since I, I lived in uh, Quebec and Montreal, sadly. Um, 
they're also, as Tony hinted at earlier, they're also looking a little bit, my comments are really kind of inflected through Canadian studies and nationalism studies. So I, I direct the Centre of Canadian Studies at Edinburgh, but I also have been actively involved in the the, the programme in nationalism studies and ASIN, for people who might know of ASIN at LSE, is now making its way up north to Edinburgh, where the ASIN conference will be next uh, next year. Um, so one way through a nationalism studies lens is to view the, the election as, in some ways, the success of a particular variant of Quebecois nationalism. Um, it's a nationalism, as I'm, th I'm thinking about the nationalism of, of CAC, uh, a nationalism that was populist in, in colour, it was anti-immigrant in rhetoric, that had a kind of exclusive conception of what constituted values in, in Quebec. It was economically conservative. It shared much in common, as Chris has already suggested, with other developments in the, the developed north. Uh, its base was largely outside of cities. It's in middle Quebec, as, uh, as uh, Jocelyn um, uh, has mentioned, and it's also there in, in uh, Table 2, um, which makes that point quite clearly. So the, it shares a lot with other developments that are, are taking place um, around the development, uh, developed north uh, right now. But, of course, the, there's some very distinct Quebec features to this, this development and, and one thing it's worth noting I think is, is that it's the first avowedly conservative party to lead um, Quebec since the Union Nationale um, and you can date that either as the last um, actively conservative party which you might put in 1959 before Paul Sauvé becomes the leader or you could say the 60s with uh, Daniel Johnson but you know so that since the 60s or even the 50s there hasn't been an avowedly conservative party in in uh, holding holding government office. So, is the success of a particular form of Quebec Quebecois nationalism, autonomous, populist, um, right of centre, anti using that rhetoric of um, that's this anti-immigrant? So, we can also say it's the failure of competing nationalisms to capture the attention of the electorate at that point, and I'm perhaps for people who know my work, will, will, uh, that this is not going to come as any great surprise, but I'm particularly interested in why there was the failure of a liberal nationalism, um, and particularly the liberal nationalism that was carried by the Parti Québécois. Um, the Parti Québécois, for much of its, uh, its life from 1968, and uh, as Lee has men uh, mentioned to me earlier, they've just celebrated 50 years of existence. Uh, I just had their birthday party was it a couple of days ago or something. Uh, what a way to celebrate um, in, in the aftermath of this election. Um, but the Parti Québécois, through it, 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 its history, war had a, an inclusive conception of, of the nation, of nationalism, uh, one that sought to um, bring people into the project. And they had varying degrees of success, not hugely successful in, in many ways, but there was an attempt. It had a, an open view of, of nation, of Quebec, as this inclusive place. It lost something of that um, over the, the, the past few years. Uh, and so I wanted to think about why liberal nationalism fell away um, in, in this election and in uh, elections leading up. 
Well, three, three things I want to say about the, the PQ. I want to just point to its um, emergence as a movement, and, and in many ways it, it remained a movement, even though it was a very successful political party. I want to say something about the, the generational element that Jocelyn's already pointed to, um, and I want to say something about strategy. There's sort of an interesting thing, if we're looking back 50 years on the, on the PQ, um, it was this coalition of left and right. It, 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 it brought together parties of the left and parties of the right. Famously, it brought together the, uh, the Rayamont National on the right and the Rassemblement pour le, on, on the Pendance National on the, on the left, and, and they joined with René Lévesque's uh, Sovereignty Association movement as a brought together a broader coalition. And in some ways, the upshot of this election is that left and right have kind of veered away. The, the CAC is, the, uh, have, you know, with, with uh, um, various mem- former members of the, the PQ have left and, uh, and Quebec Solidaire has, has left on, on the left. So it's, you, in some ways, there's this unraveling of this broader coalition that constituted the Parti Québécois. Related to that was that the, the, the PQ um, was also a, constitu- um, a movement that, that combined other movements, famously the women's movement or the gay movement or um, trade union, new, the new radical trade unionism of the 1970s. Um, and indeed, you make an argument of the, the environmental movement as well in the, the 70s and into the 80s. And you see this unraveling of that, finding different of these different elements finding different homes in, in, in different different places. And this comes, I think, most obviously in the um, the Maple Spring of, of twenty twelve that Jostein pointed to, that here was a moment where the PQ effectively failed to what I think social movement theorists talk about as block mobilize, you know, so take over a constituency and mobilize it for their own <coughs> ends. There was a complete failure in the part of the, of the Parti Québécois to do precisely that. There was a great success of Quebec Solidaire to do that, to associate itself with those protests, the student protests uh, um, seeking to maintain free education and against student loans and so on. Um, and it became the champion of uh, of that of that moment. And there's there's something there that, that that's quite uh, interesting and, and shows this failure of the PQ to reach out to the next generation and to mobilise in, in ways that it had historically always done. Um, and that then leads, I think, to the, this this element of generational change. Uh, Jocelyn has this very interesting thesis about a sort of silent revolution that Quebec is undergoing just now and just in the way in which is, um, historical memory is changing and particularly how that resonates or doesn't resonate for the, for the, the present generation. It's also, I think, related to things that uh, political scientist Eric Belanger at uh, McGill has been talking about, about the way in which um, PQ support is most um, clearly associated with those of the, of the generation of the Quiet Revolution, particularly those who lived through the 1980 referendum. Um, there's still a degree of support among Gen Xers of uh, those who lived through the 95 referendum, still not the same significant support as the, the baby boomers of the Quiet Revolution generation. But there, there's this failure to mobilize and appeal to this, the younger millennial generation, and that's where Quebec Solidaire has been particularly successful 
in, in, uh, in tapping this new generation. So there's a, a failure of the, the Parti Québécois to, to really um, reinvent itself, to renew itself, to renew um, a vision of Quebec. And I think I would stop short of saying to renew a sovereignty project. I mean, I'm, and maybe this is because I'm thinking from, from a Scottish perspective, when the, the SNP became the majority party in the Scottish Parliament, support for independence was at, at 30%. It was no wave of support for independence that brought the SNP to government. Um, the SNP won that election as they had as the previous election as a minority <coughs> government on the basis of good government. Mm-hmm. And arguably that's why the Parti Québécois won in 1976, because, on the basis of good government, not because of sovereignty, not because of independence. So there's uh, you know, something we just need to, to, to bear in mind there that um, those secessionist parties like the SNP or, or the, the Parti Québécois, um, their appeal is broader than, than simply um, support for independence or support for, um, for sovereignty. But I think crucially, and this is my third point, is that there's been a failure in the part of strategy. And there's a particular individual that we might point the finger at here. Uh, that is indeed Jean-Francois Lisey. Um, he's probably too Machiavellian for his own good. He has been the advisor to numerous uh, PQ leaders, uh, to Paiso, certainly to Pauline Marois, before he himself finally becomes, becomes leader. And I think the, his thinking went something like that the, the way to deal with this uh, uh, um, insurgent movement on the right was to effectively take over their selling points and the concerns about immigration, about secularism. And he, in many ways, was um, the, uh, the intellectual um, muscle behind the Charter of, of, uh, of, of Values. Um, there were others, um, uh, but he, he was absolutely key, and it was for key electoral strategic reasons, I think more than anything, um, that, uh, uh, that, that Lise was behind the, 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 the Charter of Values. And what that charter tried to do was, was try to um, uh, develop a, a sense of, you know, this is who we are as, as Québécois, these are our values, this is, these are the values that we insist that people... Uh, coming to our country should uh, um, abide by, and as, as well as kind of notions about um, dress re- and wearing of religious dress and religious symbols and whether that was appropriate in public settings. In other words, it was importing French republicanism, um, French republicanism which really didn't have any secure footing in Quebec at all. It's actually notable the degree to which Quebec, in, through several hundred years, has, has not been um, assuaged by French republicanism. Um, and yet there is this development of a French republican ideology um, and carried by Lise and carried by, by CAC. And, and, and what this did was to legitimize many of CAC's uh, um, proposals and uh, ideas um, Chris has been, was pointing to that, that famous um, idea that uh, immigrants should be given three years to learn French and Quebec values, and if you fail to do that, you're out. Um, this sort of notion of um, legitimizing um, those things, and I, and I think the PQ in some ways has paid the cost of that, rather than um, offer an alternative 
liberal nationalism, which it had done from its founding with the Irene de Vac, um, it had in many ways conceded the ground to, to CAC. And the, the rather depressing thing in many ways from the, the election as, and I should say I'm a card-carrying liberal. I'm not sure if I'm a liberal nationalist, but I'm certainly a card-carrying liberal in the philosophical sense of the, of the <coughs> word. Uh, I'm not a member of the PLQ. Um, is, that in, is the degree to which lots of those ideas associated with the Charter infuse political debate. Even the Liberal Party and, the, and Quebec Solidaire have, um, are you know, in some ways Charter-like parties they still hold on to some of these these notions, and there's a, um, a real kind of depressing aspect to this: is that uh, some of these ideas, enforcing ideas of of what values are and what what's appropriate dress and behaviour, has has taken hold in, in in Quebec political discourse. So that's a that's a little bit um, uh, um, of a depressing note to. To, to, to end my my, my, co- my comments, if, if the the result itself was was not uh, uh, depressing enough, um, we're being recorded. For, for this <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, we've uh, got a little bit of time for uh, questions. It's not an awful lot because uh, the one reception is coming and so on. And we must finish uh, by half past eight uh, at the end of the wine reception. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, certainly another ten minutes or so for questions. We'll see how it goes. Brian. James, you touched on the fact that the Parti Québécois was built of a coalition. And I just wonder if someone could remind me what the word coalition in Coalition Avenue in Quebec means. Was it founded as a coalition, and what were the component parts of that coalition? Yeah, it was founded as a coalition, for sure. Uh, it would send a signal uh, <clears throat> to all those who um, believe not in les chicanes mm-hmm. to rally under the leadership of Mr. Legault. So it was, it was a kind of new uh, option or orientation in between independence or what François Legault called subordination to, uh, to the federal. So it, it tried to break very large and for that reason welcome all those who wanted to coalize within that party. But from the very beginning, it was to provide an option to all those Quebecers who were unsatisfied either by the Liberal Party or by the um, I also think, correct me if I'm wrong, that a large number of the most prominent um, people besides Legault who started the CAC were former PQ people who left the PQ. Um, yeah, but you had also switched between the CAC and the Liberal. So they are all, you know, revolving around a kind of fluid center. Yeah. Either you are a little bit right or a little bit left, but no one would speak about radical or uh, left or radical right uh, when, when speaking uh, about the CAC, the Liberals, or the PQ. I think that, that in some respects the, the, the um, 
part of the reason the, P, uh, the CAC were successful and, and have been is that they, they didn't embrace this notion of sovereignty, right? Um, they took what has been, for the PQ, uh, an electoral albatross um, and put it to the sidelines. I think that that's a very interesting point. I mean, there's a, there is a history, of course, of, of uh, parties that are nationalist parties but are autonomous uh, and, not, uh, and not sovereignist. So the, um, the ADQ most recently was, was of, of that ilk, which was a, a breakaway from the Liberal Party uh, in the, the 90s. Um, and then before that was the Union Nacional, which was a strange coalition, I think, initially of um, conservatives and liberals. It was in the, in the 30s, um, but then avowedly a conservative party through the, the 50, 40s and 50s. <coughs> yeah. I was going to ask about the ADQ as well, actually. I'm interested to hear what you, what you thought of the relationship between the ADQ movement, which was the kicks in 2007, as an as a potential new party, which seems to be on the power of one party. Uh, and what the similarities and differences are between that and, uh, and, and attack. Uh, and another question just about ex- extensions, I think. The, um, it's just, I mean, it's a very strong point about little boats staying at home. I just wondered, uh, maybe I'm just trying to be a bit optimistic about Quebec Solidaire's future prospects, but um, part of the Jeremy Corbyn strategy was to get people to vote who don't usually vote at all. Uh, large sections of, uh, of young people and other kind of disaffected groups. Um, so is, is there a potential within the abstentionist Quebec electorate, other than the staying at home, which might come to the aid of Quebec in the if they try to develop that strategy further? And I just have a question about the others as well, which I've mentioned the others, so that's the uh, because there's one strike, I mean, it's from a very low base, but in just as table three, yep. one of the striking figures is that the vote for others goes up 160 percent. Now, obviously, it's from a very low base, but how much of that is the party there? How much is their mileage in widening Quebec Sunday's constituency? Well, we have data about uh, vote to any other party, but uh, I haven't breaked it down because. Uh, Overall, you, you got only three uh, percent yeah, sure. of people going into that direction. But 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 you're right, pointing out that uh, from 2014 to 2018, you, you got almost 160 percent more voters going to other party, uh, which which might be significant. I don't know. But but even though you bring all those people to Quebec Solidaire, I'm not so sure that they will progress enough. I mean, to to be a significant party into the public sphere. Now, my point is that if Quebec Solidaire wants to go further, it will have to make his program a little bit more realistic. Um, for instance, I remember, I remember that answer given, given by, by Manon Massé during one of the TV debates. When I think it was Francois Legault, uh, he said to her, well, get back onto Earth. And her, her answer was, you don't have the courage to push the ideas that we have. Now, it, it was not really a, an answer to this idea that how is it possible to face pragmatically, concretely, realistically, the problem of the environment. 
it's very easy for her to say, for instance, you, you don't have the courage. But what, how to operationalize that idea of courage? I think that's going to be the, the most important issue for the next day and the next. And perhaps because of that win, and perhaps because some people think that they are in there, you know, um, alone, uh, more pragmatic people will rally that party. But to what extent the party uh, is uh, willing to change its general orientation, we, we have to, we have to see. <coughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, any? <coughs> I was just gonna say, your point about the ADQ, and uh, you know, thinking of Mario Dumont, and you think about, and I was glad that Jimmy pointed out the fact that there is this long tradition of conservatism in Quebec and voting for not the Liberals or the PQ. Um, and yes, you can clearly, in a contemporary sense, the ADQ was, some might say, it was a flash in the pan. It came and it went, and it was all tied to the dynamism of its leadership, right? And um, it lost out and sort of faded away. But while the party itself um, may have been transitory, the fact is it suggests that there was something larger at foot in the province of Quebec, right? That particularly amongst non-urban um, francophone voters. So, yeah, I mean that's a, that's really interesting. The, the ADQ. I don't really understand the party because it it starts as, as a quite a progressive party. Um, it, it is a break away from the Liberals. Um, um, over the, uh, this question of sovereignty, in the LR report, isn't it, in the 1990s? Um, and then it sort of finds its place on the right of, of Quebec politics, and, and really, in, in a way, that, that identifies a, a, that constituency that's, uh, that has become the, the CAC's constituency. There is a, so there's an interesting story about the electoral linkage between the ADQ and uh, Québécois, uh, sorry, the, what I'm talking, the CAC. Um, there was something else I was going to say. I've momentarily forgotten what I was going to say, but I'll, I'll come back to it. Right. I'll come back. Okay, thanks, Bill. For that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think um, electoral reform will actually happen? Seeing <laughs> you do what many parties have done, which is they campaign for electoral reform, get right. a huge majority, and suddenly discover that there isn't time, or decide to well, we'll have a referendum, but we'll have a huge threshold in order to get it passed, do you think they'll just or forget, often, forget yeah. to do it? <laughs> often it's determined that going forward with some form of proportional representation will displace your current government if you run the numbers, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. why bother? Um, your thoughts? Your thoughts? <laughs> royal Commission? Do you think a Royal Commission? <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, That's a very good question. I'll be surprised if they embrace it. Very surprised. We can think of the infamous example of uh, Cambridge Analytica, uh, so that they used to make some very targeted promises. Mm. Um, could you comment on the role these uh, targeted promises played in, the, in this particular campaign? Well, yes. Um, <clears throat> this, this is uh, this is an idea that circulated a lot that because of the polls and the surveys. 
uh, parties knows exactly what people are expecting, so they go with it. But, but I, I'm, I'm not that convinced with that explanation in the sense that, well, Chris insisted on to that. <clears throat> After 15 years of domination, it, it's, it's, it's very ornate. It's very difficult for a party, I think, either in Canada or in, uh, in Quebec, to remain in power. People want to change. What means that change? They don't even know. It's just time to substitute a government uh, to another government. Uh, <clears throat> secondly, I'm not so sure that many, many people look at the party's program. They look at their uh, leaders. <clears throat> now, it seems that Quebecers like charismatic people or magnetic people. Uh, they don't like straightforward person. I'm going to give you, uh, I don't know if that can be understood with the word straightforward. But anyway, I'm, I'm going to give you an example. Took the referendum in 1995, for instance. Jacques Parizeau said to Quebecers, elect me, we're going to have a referendum, and we will hold to that. Now, we are in 1994. Parizeau wanted to go on with this idea of referendum. Many of his <coughs> important um, advisors or ministers, including Bernard Landry, for instance, said to him, well, we're, we're going to win. We're going we're gonna to lose it again. But he has this idea. People elected me. I'm going to go to the end of what I promise. Close to the referendum, he was replaced by Lucien Bouchard. Why? Because Lucien Bouchard is a very charismatic, magnetic man. He's one of the best speakers. Parizeau is a very good speaker, too, and he was. But Bouchard is a very good speaker. People like that kind of. Because what Bouchard said, we're going to push the relation of force with the feds as much as possible, but I'm going to give you a second chance to decide. There will be a next time. Remember what Lévesque had said after the, the loss of the first referendum. Quebecers like another possibility to decide over what they have already decided. Parizeau doesn't like that kind of attitude, but Bouchard can cope with it. Now, what's the difference between Mr. Couillard and Mr. Legault? Mr. Couillard is a very good speaker. But he's, he's, he's considered as a reasoned man, speaking with his mind. Legault speaks with his mind, of course, but he also speaks with his art. And he's, 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 he's a bargainer. Like Cuillard seems to be a straightforwarder. Quebec prefers bargainers than straightforwarder. This is one of the reasons, again, that has nothing to do with any targeting of clientele that explained to me the reason why so much Quebec, they recognize themselves in the, in, the, in the character of Mr. Legault much more than in the character of Mr. Cuillard. Uh, <coughs> yeah. But, but now, I just want to insist on what Jimmy said. It was one of the most convincing explanation of the decline of the PQ that I ever heard for a long time. The fact that CAC is now the carrier of liberal nationalism in Quebec. 
liberal nationalism. That is at the core of Quebec's political culture much more than any idea of French Republican ideology. And this is true that Mr. Lizzie is a wise man, he's a brilliant man, but he was not able to incarnate that idea of ambiguity, of ambivalence. We want this and this at the same time. Now, he, in a way, he's a good speaker as well, but he's, he's perhaps in the line of the straight forwarders. Yeah, and, and, and Quebecers, you know, take this thing. So uh, we'll see uh, in the future, but the, the, I, I think that you've got there a, a solid point to explain the deepness. I don't know if it's the decline of the P2 for the last 20 years, but certainly the, the failure of, of Mr. Elise to, uh, to, to have more than 70% of voting. Really? Really? Fundamentally, if I could just very quickly say this, I think the Papier Bacois has been a victim of its own success. Its raison d'etre was to protect the French language, promote the French language. It has done that successfully, and paradoxically, its decline is, I think, the consequence of that success. Well, this is said by a lot of people. Why to make independence? We have already it. It is not constitutionalized, but people don't bother about the constitution. They just, you know, act as, well, probably one of the most important phrases that was pronounced in the history of Quebec was that of Robert Bourassa in 1919, uh, when he said, Mr. President, uh, from now on, Quebec is a distinctive society, and as all, well, I cannot quote him, in my, all the power. Young people don't know about that word or that speech, but they live it. Yeah. And I think it makes a big difference between them and the previous generation. This is why I think we can speak of a silent revolution um, uh, marking Quebec uh, in the present time. Now, my problem is how to reconciliate uh, the maple uh, spring of 2012 with that idea of silent revolution. Uh, I have to think about it. Well, we'll let you think about that during the wine reception. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we've made up our time. Um, don't all rush for the wine because rush. Craig, Craig, Craig wants to make an announcement. Let me. Well, all right, do it now then. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah, just uh, just just sorry. Craig Moy is of the Centre for Quebec French Canadian Studies. I won't keep you from your wine appointment. Uh, I just wanted to mention that we have two very special events happening this week and two weeks after that, um, two very interesting filmmakers from Quebec. Uh, first of all, next Thursday, Cathy Martin uh, is, is showing a, a rare screening of her beautiful film, Ocean, which is uh, one of named by the Toronto uh, Film Reviews uh, in the top 10 of the 100 greatest Canadian films of all time. Uh, she will be here in person to present the film, and, and I will have a Q&A with her afterwards. This is at Senate House. And then two weeks time, speaking of the Printemps Arabe, uh, Mathieu Denis, um, in his most recent film, Ceux qui font les révolutions en moitié ne font que se causer un tombeau, which is a three-hour political film on Printemps Arabe, a fiction based in, on a true story. 
Um, uh, and that would be on, when is that? Uh, that is the 6th of November at King's College London. And the following day, uh, he will be part of our French department seminar discussing the possibility of political filmmaking today. So lots of interesting things happening. Okay, thank you. Well, and finally, let me thank our panel for a very interesting uh, presentation about the collection. Still plenty of thought that will need to be given into it. Mm -hmm. So, thank you very much indeed.